Father in heaven, I thank you so much again for the privilege we have of being here. Lord, as we're discussing the work of the Holy Spirit, we need the Holy Spirit to give us guidance and understanding. Lord, we need to be able to see the conviction in our lives, and we pray you would help us to respond positively before we can see the conviction in others' lives. Lord, we need that as well as uh, your witnesses to be able to see where the Holy Spirit is working so that we can work in harmony. And Lord, as we discuss this decision-making process, we just ask for your continued understanding and wisdom. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to try to go through this rather quickly. It is outlined in the chapter on gaining decisions. The first thing I want to talk about is, you know what the will is, according to Spirit of Prophecy writings, Ellen White talks a lot about the will. We think about the will as our desire, but she calls the will the choice, the power of choice. In fact, there's some really good statements in the chapter. Okay? There are three, um, and I'm, what I'm sharing with you is, is a lot of it is from a book by Mark Finley called Persuasion. It's out of print. I will make a, an electronic copy accessible. Tomorrow I'll give you a link where you, can, you or somebody, if you're not real savvy with this kind of thing, can get um, the, the materials. Uh, the book, Persuasion, is a little book, but a very powerful book on leading people or understanding the decision-making process. And one of the things he brings up in that book is the counselors of the human will. That is, there are, there are three counselors that inform us when we're making a decision, and, and that'll make sense to you in just a moment. Those three counselors of the will are reason and conscience and ideals, okay? Reason, in other words, when I make a decision, when I choose to do, and I don't, I don't want to go outside of Christianity for a minute, okay? The, the example I like to use is buying a car. We're going to buy a car together, okay? Sound like fun? Yes, Pastor Howard, that sounds like lots of fun. Okay, but any decision a person makes, if they're going to make a decision, it has to be reasonable to them. And I emphasize to them, because people make a lot of decisions that aren't reasonable. But in their own mind, it is. If it isn't reasonable in your own mind, you're not going to do it. And so the devil works at making things seem reasonable that aren't reasonable, but that a person doesn't make personal decisions until it's reasonable in their mind, until it's right in their mind, until it's beneficial. I just, I think I left my purple marker up here. So this counselor, reason, tells you what is, oops, reasonable. Conscience, what is right, from a moral standpoint, right and wrong, and ideals, what is beneficial, or I'll say what is best, okay? So when I'm making a decision, I have these things in mind. Now let's talk about a car for a minute. We're car shopping. What are the kind of things that we're looking for as we're car shopping? Okay, color, price, uh, MPG, right? Oops, MGP, MPG, miles per gallon. Okay, size of the vehicle. Like poor Daniel, he's not riding in my little Honda. He got himself a, what is it, a Tahoe or something? Yeah. Leg room. Okay, somebody wants four-wheel drive. If it functions. Well, let's say reliability, okay? Reliability. Okay. Um, yeah, features or, or, or options, they call it. Options. Right, I want the, do I want the navigational system? Oh, power, right? Oh, let's, let's change that so that we're clear. Okay. Horsepower. Safety. And this one, of course, what's it going to cost to insure this thing? I've always wanted... One of my favorite cars is a, is a Ferrari Testarossa, not because I've ever driven one. I thought it'd be great if somebody gave me one, but if they did, I couldn't afford to insure the thing, so I guess it wouldn't help. 
Now think about these for a minute. All of these things that we're looking at are answering one of these points. Okay? Okay, it's either reasonable. Now, the conscience thing works a little better when we talk about a spiritual decision, but not entirely from a Christian standpoint, or even from a, I mean, there are non-Christians who still have a sense of right and wrong, and we'll see how that plays into this in a minute. Where, where does color fall? Ideals, okay? That's what's best or beneficial or what I like, okay? Where, where's this fall? Reason, and it could be conscience as well, right? You know, that's, so a person could say, you know, I, 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 can, I can afford this, but it will make the budget awful tight. Maybe I can't, you know, I want to pay for this program for my daughter for, you know, music lessons, and I'm not going to be able to do it if I'm so, you know, so that could be factoring into both of those. Miles per gallon, for the most part, what's reasonable, right? Size, that could be reasonable too, right? If I have a family and they can't all, you know, hey, I want a Corvette, it's got two seats in it. I think Testarossa is a two-seated car. You know, you put the kids in the little luggage compartment. No. <laughs> so you, you've got leg room. Leg room is going to be kind of with the size there. Leg room is, it could be both of those. Four-wheel drive, it could be both of those, couldn't it? If I'm living in a place where I need it, but if I just like to do a lot of off-roading and stuff like that, probably just for fun, I could be there. Reliability, probably going to be reasonable. Um, uh, this could also be a right thing if I'm getting it for my family, you know, just like safety. Safety could be um, uh, what's safety could be any one of them. Probably it could be. Hey, I, if this is I'm getting this for my wife and the kids, and I want them to be safe when they're in the car. Anyway, you get the gist of it, right? Now, here's what I want you to understand. All of these things factor in, and may, subconsciously, I think the, I use the orange for a reason. Um, there is a guy in, see, if you don't, everything can line up here as far as reasonable and right, but if it's not the best, you're not going to buy it unless somehow it's offset. What I mean by that is, if you, when I was living in Goebbels, there's a guy, um, Janelle and Tom know the guy, Gene the Pumpkin Man. Gene the Pumpkin Man likes everything orange. Bright orange. Now, I hadn't given it a lot of thought. You drive by his house on, on uh, Amp 43 uh, when you're going into town, and he's got this big orange pumpkin out there. He, of course, it's the Pumpkin Man. Um, pumpkin sign and all this. But he also had a big, bright orange Cadillac that he drove. And, uh, you know, if it was, uh, if it was uh, like an orange, like that water bottle, kind of metallic or a little rust or something, color, that might be okay, but it was, it was not a metallic, it was just a gloss orange. And I remember, now, maybe some of you have your mouths watering it. Wow, I love a gloss orange catalog. But I, the reason that I went there is I was driving by one day and there's a for sale sign. And my immediate thought was, how cheap would that car have to be for me? I mean, the car was in good shape. I mean, it probably had a lot of nice options, but I looked at that color and I thought, what would that price have to be for me to be willing to buy that orange car? And the immediate conclusion that I came to, and you can probably guess, is what? Cheap enough for me to repaint it. You got it. Anyway, not long after that, I drive by Jeans, and the car is across the street at the body shop. And immediately I'm thinking, somebody bought that car and they're painting that car. <laughs> okay, I don't know what happened. I do know that it wasn't long that that car was gone and there was a newer model, orange, gloss orange Cadillac <laughs> right there for Gene. For me, for me, that's a deal breaker. There's no way, I'm, unless, unless the price comes real low or whatever else. But you see how these things work together in the decision-making process. We can talk all day long about how reasonable it is, and how it's perfectly right for me to do it, and I have the money, and there's nothing immoral about it or anything else, but I just don't like the color. And the, and the reality is, I'm not going to decide. Okay? Now, why is that important? Because this is the way people make decisions in everything. And when it comes to spiritual things, it works the same way. Now, I want to erase my options here, or my different points of buying my car. 
And I want to talk about the process, how this works in, in the steps, the steps in making decisions. There are four steps we're going to look at. Well, really three steps. The first step is information. This also comes out of the book Persuasion. The second step is conviction. The third step is desire. And then that leads to action. You have to have one, two, and three if you're going to get to four. Okay? Four comes from one, two, and three. Now, each of these steps is tied to one of these. What do you think information is tied to? Reason. Okay? What about conviction? Conscience. And desire? Ideals. This is okay, so now this is how this works. There's two things I want you to really get out of this. Nobody's convicted without information. Information leads to conviction. So when you find somebody who's convicted, what does it tell you? They at least have enough information to be convicted. Why is that important? Let me tell you why it's important. Because you're giving that Bible study to somebody, or they came to the evangelistic meeting, and you're following up with them, and they're convicted about the Sabbath. And so you go to visit with them, and they're not making a decision. They're convicted, but they're not making a decision on the Sabbath. And so your initial response is, I know what they need. They need another text on the Sabbath, which is what? More information. Do they need more information? No, because they have, I'm not saying they don't need more, not it couldn't be beneficial, but they already have enough information to be convicted. They wouldn't be convicted if there wasn't enough information. But nine times out of ten, what, what, what the inexperienced soul winner does, and I've done this, I can't tell you how many times, is throw more, we're, we're back to the pastor or somebody else and we're saying, give me another text on the Sabbath. I'm working with this person and they're just, they're digging their heels in and give me another text. Well, why do you think they're digging their heels in? They're convicted. They got information. That's why they're resisting it. What they don't have more than likely is desire, okay? And, and what I mean by that is this. So information leads to conviction, but you've got to have, they can know, just like you with the car, just like me with a car, yeah, it's reasonable, yeah, it's right, but I hate orange. I don't want to drive around in an orange car. So if they don't see that what you are telling them about is going to be beneficial to their life, I don't care how much information you give them, they are not deciding. They've got to see that that decision is going to be the best thing for them to do. Now there are ways you can enhance desire. If you look in the manual, Elder Finley talks about what he calls the minimax principle. Understand that when you're trying to lead a person to make a right decision, the devil is trying to lead them to make a wrong decision. And so what the devil does is he maximizes in a person's mind all of the problems with following the truth. Oh, it's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you your wife and your kids and your job and everything. And so he's maximizing this in their mind, and their benefits are nothing. The Minimax principle, look at this on page 33. Minimax principle, number 33, number, uh, page, page 33, rather, number 4, toward the top of the page, says how to heighten desire. Notice the Minimax principle. This principle says that individuals will act on a given item when the benefits are maximum and the risk is minimum. Generally speaking, maximizing the benefits of a right action will produce dramatically greater results than focusing on the negative consequences of following a wrong action. However, that's not always the case. So typically minimaxing, in other words, the minimax then is you're, what you're going to want to do is try to maximize in their minds the benefits of following the truth because the devil's doing the exact opposite. And then you want to minimize the cost of following the truth. What, all you're doing there is you're trying to heighten desire, trying to help them to see the benefit of going forward. For some people, you'll run into this, you'll try this and it doesn't work. For some people... It's the consequence of not following the truth that needs to be maximized in their mind. The consequence of not following the truth. Not the, con not the consequences the devil's showing them and say, well, you do this. You need to let them see that it's going to cost them. Could it cost them their, their, their children's salvation or their whatever? And um, for some people, you'll find that that's effective. I saw a hand up somewhere. Didn't you? That, 
You actually can. And that's and that's where the challenge comes in because it's going to cost you something to do it. You can you see you've had you studied for two years. You've built a relationship. If it was your daughter, would you tell her that? Your son, would you tell her that? I don't know what children you have, but why not the neighbor? And part of it is, well, you know, as a parent you feel the responsibility, but the point is that's a classic response that I've seen happen, and I've had the same thing happen to me. And down the road, I'm like, oh, how did I miss that? People come to evangelistic meetings, and you go over everything, they're like, I want to pray about it. And, and so I've gotten to the point, well, what are you going to pray about? I mean, what is there to pray about? Right, Pastor Dan? But they'll do that. And, you, you know, your initial response is, well, what can I do? They want to pray about it. But they're, they, what, are, what are they going to pray about that I need to, should I, that, Lord, do I really need to follow what the Bible says? They've seen, and so sometimes I'll ask them, at least I find out a little bit more where they're coming from, but if a person is, what it sounds like happened there is, they got more involved in the church. I've, I've seen this happen a lot of times. I have Bible study with people who are backslidden. They don't go to church. They learn about the Sabbath and everything else. They're convicted. They start going to church. What do you think they're doing? They're trying to save themselves by their works. They're telling themselves, well, if I get back to church and everything else, maybe I can ignore that other thing. And you, you don't want to enable that. Um, you got to be careful being, you don't want to be critical, but this is where you're making direct personal appeals. And you've got to pray, Lord, what do I say? But you want to say something direct and say, you know, I understand that this may be new to you, but I think that what the Bible said is plain. And, and, and you know, this is one of the commandments of God. I know it's not easy, but, you know, and just, you, just speaking those direct words. Now, before I do that, we're going to go through a process of, Here's something else that I haven't touched on is that we're getting into is that when a person, we're talking about what leads to decisions, but when a person is not making their decision, there's, there's um, a response, and it's touched on the manual, called the upper layer approach. And the upper layer approach simply says this. The reason people will give you for why they're not making a decision is almost never the reason. Because the real reason is personal, and it's not something... So they might throw out some text. I'll give you an example of all of this here. Um, uh, just let me reiterate, information and conviction may be there, but the, the desire has to be enhanced. The minimax is one of the ways of, of enhancing that. And here's a few examples of, of the benefits of right doing, for example. You've got you've to come to know the person. People desire different things. Some people just want peace in their lives. Okay, so some text you can use. And, and let me emphasize this now. When you're leading a person to decision, you want to, when you come to that point, you want to use Scripture. Because me telling them what they ought to do is not the same thing as them seeing God telling them what they ought to do. And neither does it give them encouragement. The Word gives them encouragement that there's strength to do what God's calling them to do. So in the context of when I'm finally calling for the decision, I want them to, I want to employ Scripture. Peace Romans 5.1 um, says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Okay? Um, Isaiah 32.17 um, says, uh, I forget off the top of my head, Isaiah 32.17. I'm thinking of Psalm 119 where it says, no, is it Isaiah 32.17? Maybe that does say, I don't think it is. It talks about how, um, let's look it up. That's always the easy thing to do. Yeah, okay, that's not, yeah. And then Psalm 119 says, uh, great peace have those who love thy law. Okay, so those are texts that you can use if, if you perceive that this is where the person, this is what they want. Then if I say, you know, I'm talking to them about following the Bible, keeping the Sabbath, but I'm not giving them a Sabbath text here, am I? I'm giving them a peace text. Why? Because they got the information on the Sabbath. They're convicted about the Sabbath. But what they want in their life is peace. So if I can point them to the passage where God says, Great peace have those who love thy law. Wow, I want peace. What I'm doing is I'm... You had to ask that, didn't you? Psalm 119, great peace have those. Is it 172? 165. You have it there? Is that, did somebody confirm that? 119.165 is the one that talks about how great peace have those who love thy law. So those are, um, you know, and there are other texts that may come to mind, but the point is, if you want to emphasize 
peace. If you perceive that's what the person needs, then you can go there. Maybe they are somebody who you know has a strong desire that they have the Holy Spirit's guidance. Well, the Bible says in Acts 5.32, the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey God. So, you know, that may be a text that you use. Happiness, Matthew 5, all the Beatitudes. Happy, blessed are those who do this. That means happy. You, you know, heaven. And so you, you get the idea there that if you perceive that the desire is tied to happiness, a desire for happiness or a desire for peace, or maybe it's a desire for their children or their family. And you go to Acts 16 where it says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household. You know, something that what you're doing is they know that they've heard about the Sabbath, but do I, do I keep the Sabbath? Well, they're convicted. They know it's right. They got the information, but it's going to destroy my life. It's going to lose my family. I'm going to lose my job. Forget about it. And so as you bring something that will enhance the desire, they see, wow, there's benefit in me doing this. So you're minimizing the cost, you're maximizing the benefit, then you're tipping the scale, and that will help them toward decision. Yes. You're trying to locate what's the most significant to that person. Yes. Yeah, because you're, what you're, see, th these, these are pretty easy. Your Bible study is full of information. You've got Bible study guides. You've got, you know, the, the conviction is going to come when the information is shared. But what is, what is it, where's the desire for them? What is it that they're longing for? That's where it's going to hang up. And I'll tell you this too. The issue of making a decision is very rarely, let me use a different color than that, is very rarely a, an issue of information. It's almost always an issue of application. Okay? In other words, hey, I know about the Sabbath, and I know it's true. I hear what the Bible says about my health and what I eat and drink, but what's going to happen when I follow it? They're counting the cost. They're looking at the application, and usually that's the hang-up. The hang-up isn't that you need more information, but most of the time, most inexperienced and sometimes experienced soul winners will try to go and give more information. So I was going to give you this example. Uh, Elder Finley shares an example of when he was doing a field school, which is, you're doing an evangelistic meeting. You have young seminarians and you know people being trained that are going with you, the experienced evangelist. Well, he went to visit a couple in their home. And this couple had been to a series that he had done, and they'd been coming to church for about a year. And he was talking with them about membership and why they hadn't become members. So he went in with these two young seminary students, and he said, as he sat down to visit, he talked to the couple, well, you know, you've been coming to church for a year now, and you remember, I remember you coming to the series and everything else, but you're not members yet. Uh, what, what is, what's, what's holding you back? Have you thought about that at all? And he said, as soon as he said that, he said, the husband, the husband began to say, well, the Bible says, let no man judge you in regard to the Sabbath. Now, his stated reason for not becoming a member is this text. It's in Colossians 2, by the way, that says, let no one judge in regard to food or drink or Sabbath. So he brings this Colossians 2 up. He says, immediately the two seminary guys are like, they got their Bibles out. Because we didn't take the time. I wish I had had the time, but it was in the handout. But Colossians 2 I mean, is one of the first things you learn when you're learning about the Sabbath. and what. The, oh, I know where to go. And they got their Bibles out, and they were ready. They're turning along, and they're going to go and show... Well, they got their Bibles out, but Elder Finley said he kind of looked at him and he's like, you know, whoa, boys, hold on a minute. Yeah, what were they getting ready to do? Information, okay? Um, information is mo generally not the, not the case, and he perceived. You know, this is the thing. When you go in to gain a decision, when you're in that situation, you are detective, and a detective acts on a hunch. Okay? What that means is when you go into a situation, you're going to perceive what may be the problem. You could be completely wrong, and I'll, I'll give you a practical example of that in a minute. But you've got to have an idea. Well, Elder Finley had an idea that there's got to be something more. Why do you think he thought that? Why do you think the Sabbath, he didn't think the Sabbath was the real issue? They've been going to church for a year on the Sabbath. Okay? You've got to be thinking that when you're going into a situation saying, oh, hold on a minute, you know, look at all the evidence. So he said this. He said, well... We can look at Colossians 2, you know, if you'd like to do that. But is there something else that may be holding you back? Is there some, something that you've not yielded to the 
to the Lord yet, maybe some lifestyle practice. And this was from a little bit of knowledge of the couple and just some perception. And he said, as soon as he said that, the husband and wife were sitting there. He said, as soon as he said that, the husband dropped his eyes. And the wife took his hand and she looked at him and said, we've been smoking and we just can't quit. So what was the issue for them? had nothing to do with the Sabbath. What would happen if the two seminary guys would have gone, looked up Colossians 2, spent the next half hour or whatever going over all those objections? Would they have gotten anywhere? No. It wasn't even the issue. Okay? So it wasn't even tied in this case to, you know, I've talked about some things that may be a, a desire issue because I'm worried I'm going to lose my job or whatever with keeping the Sabbath. There are people who you think they're hung up on the Sabbath and they're over here on some other thing they're struggling with. That's, what's, that's what makes gaining decisions difficult because you've got to find out where they're hung up. Um, there's a story. Well, that is where the Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit better be in the whole process. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you from experience, the Holy Spirit's not just going to work all this out for you, and you're just going to sit there, and you'll come back next week, and next week, and next week. What's going to happen is there's a window of opportunity. You know, let's go back to the words of Jesus, and don't miss it. This will have more impact right now. Um, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll send laborers where? That know how to get decisions. That's what Jesus said. There are people out there. He, he got the Holy Spirit, but he said he needs you. Pray for people who know how to lead people to decisions. Is your hand up? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but when it, things will change when you get to that point. Let me just make something plain. Everything we go over here doesn't guarantee decisions. Nothing we cover is going to guarantee decisions. You're going you're to do the best you know how to do. There are going to be situations you go through, you're going to learn, you're going to look back and say, I could have done it better here and there, and it still doesn't guarantee a decision. Um, there are people that you've done everything you know how to do, and then you're like, I've studied with them, and maybe they love everything, but they're still smoking, and they're still smoking, and they're still, and I want them to become a member. It may be five years down the road. It may be 10 years down the road. You do your best with that. The Spirit's got to do his part. You're doing your part. But people, I mean, I regularly encounter people who become a Seventh-day Adventist after they've gone through several sets of meetings and been hanging around for 10 years or more. And so... Um, I know that may be a little discouraging. You're thinking, uh, but it, it, it all starts with, or, you know, it either starts with somebody like you, or you're in the midst of the process. It's not, um, your labor's not in vain. Just understand that, it you know, we're dealing with souls here, and there's a battlefield, and there's forces of good and evil. So you'll, when you get to the study on um, health, you know, there are a lot of people who have bad health practices, but they didn't know that they were immoral health practices. I had a lady come to a meeting in um, Coldwater, Michigan that I did. She was 72 years old and had been smoking since she was 11. She tried to quit before and never quit. She hears what the Bible has to say, that this is an immoral practice. This is the temple of God. He who destroys this temple, God will destroy. It put a new le uh, level of understanding in her, a new conviction. And we had a follow-up class right there. Well, during the series, we had to stop smoking class for those who wanted to stop five days she came to day one stopped coming i mean she came to the meetings but she stopped coming i thought oh man i really wanted her to quit she came to one day of the stop smoking class and then she quit it she's never going to quit smoking no she came to day one realized i need to do this and she quit she didn't come back to the classes she quit after 60 years of smoking she quit why because there was a new impetus put on her because she realized this was something that was not in harmony with the lord's will she just didn't know that before and she had new power to do it that's why sometimes we have churches that do, you say, hey, I just want to do a stop smoking. I'm not opposed to that, but there's more power when it's tied with something spiritual because it's, when people realize this is a moral obligation, it's different than, yeah, everybody knows, look, everybody knows they should be healthier. You know, I think every one of us here probably think, yeah, I could probably exercise more, eat a little better, whatever else, but it's different when it becomes a moral issue and it has an impetus there. Anyway, um, so when... Of course, he found out the issue was smoking. Then he was able to address what the problem was. Um, there's a story of, uh, I forget which, it was, which king in Europe, Henry Ford was selling uh, Model Ts. And in the days, early days of the Model Ts, it's not like you had a lot going. There wasn't a lot of foreign 
trade going. At least at any point, he had this Model T sold to a king in Europe um, who he knew because the person was a king. He knew the company had sold the car to him, but this man had never met Henry Ford, didn't know Henry Ford by face, and Henry Ford happened to be, as the story goes, happened to be traveling in Europe. And he saw this Model T broken down by the side of the road. And he asked his driver to pull over and went over to the car. He noticed this Model T and the king. He knew it was the king. The king didn't know Henry Ford and never met him. So he goes up to the car, and there's the king and his attendants, and the car's broken down. And apparently those Model Ts had this little glitch in them, and they had a, a toolbox on the running board with a mallet in there. And sometimes a crankshaft would seize up, and it was the crank at the front of the car. Anyway, Henry Ford knew what to do. He saw the car. He goes up to the car, and the guys are got the hood open. They're looking at it. They're scratching their heads. They said, he says, what's the problem? They said, do you know anything about these? He said, a little bit. Didn't tell him who he was. They said, I can't get the thing to start. And he said, well, let me look at it. Looks under there and asks one of the guys, get in that toolbox and hand me the mallet. Takes the mallet. He gets the other guy. He says, get on the front of the car. He says, now, when I tell you when, you crank, okay? So the guy gets on the front. He puts his hand on the engine. He says, go ahead and crank it. Puts his hand on there and feels the engine while he's cranking it. He says, okay, stop for a minute. Gets them out. He says, okay, go ahead, do it again. Wax the engine. Boom. Things starts right up. Starts purring. They're elated. Everybody's elated. The king is looking. Is he says, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. What, 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 what's the cost for this service? And uh, he said 100 silver shillings, which was quite a bit of money. But he knew the king had it. But the king was a little incensed at this. 100 silver shillings. 100 silver shillings for, for five minutes work. He said, no, 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 no. 98. And he said uh, two silver shillings for five minutes work and 98 silver shillings for knowing where to hit. Have you heard that before? And the skill in soul winning is knowing where to hit. Where is this area? Where is this area that's hanging them up? They're telling you, oh, it's this Colossians 2 text. Is that really it? What's the real area? What I want to do with you now is walk you through a process to determine what, where, this is your detective work here. When somebody, you're in a study, or you're visiting somebody after a meeting, and they're not making a decision, how do you come to find out where that spot is? That, that you know, if I were to take a um, nail, and I wanted to drive it into this pulpit, or this, this desk, or this table, I'm going to say the table, and I took a nail, how many swings would it take me to drive that thing flush with the top of the table? Well, you know, you could ask, what kind of nail is it? Is it, is it a 10-penny nail? Is it a 16-penny nail? What size is your hammer? Is it a 15-ounce hammer? Is it a 20-ounce hammer? Is it a sledgehammer? Right? All that stuff. But all of that is irrelevant if what? If I don't hit it. I could swing the hammer all day long. And some of us swing the hammer all day long, but we don't hit the nail. Knowing where to hit. What is it that hangs a person up? I don't know. You don't know. So I'm studying with them. And you come to this point, and you've studied, and they got the information, they're convicted, but they're not moving on it. How do I get them to move on it? Now, let me introduce a question to you. You can ask this in different forms, but this is the way that I learned it, and it's a, it's a good way to ask it. What would keep you? You can ask that for just about anything a person's struggling with. What would keep you from choosing to honor God by worshiping him on his seventh-day Sabbath? What would keep you? from following the Bible principles of healthy eating? What would keep you from accepting what the Bible says about death and life and immortality, that Jesus alone is immortal, that we rest in a good... What would keep you? you can, now, you can word it differently if you want, but it's very simple, very straightforward, and that's a good... It's kind of a diagnostic, find-your-way-through question. Now, in the process, this, let's say that you have somebody who you're studying with, and they are not making a decision on whatever topic. Okay? So they've got a reason, and you're either after the study asking them, or you're on a visit, you know, they're an evangelistic meeting, they're coming, and you're visiting with them, and you're wanting to know, and they present, this is in the context of somebody presenting an objection. Well, you know, here's the thing. Okay? Doesn't the Bible say in Romans 14 that one man regards one, man, one day above another, another man? Okay, whatever. Here's the thing that, here's the, here's the process that you want to follow. Number one, you want to, when they state the objection, you want to, I'm going to review myself, it's in the, it's in the, 
I'm thinking I'm missing a step in my head here. So this is all in your manual on, what'd you say? Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought you said 86. And I'm like, no, it's not an 86. Um, oh, yeah, see, I was. I was going to restate the question. You want to listen. Number one, well, obviously. You want to listen carefully to what their objection is. Okay, because sometimes in them telling you what it is that's holding them up, you can, um, you can get a clue. Okay, now keep in mind here, when you are facing this situation, you are a detective, and you are playing your hunch. Okay, this is key. I've learned this from working with our students. I wish we had time. One of the things we do in our fuller session is we have decision labs, and what that is is, we have real scenarios where we encountered people who weren't making decisions, and we make up cards, and you have uh, one of you plays the person who is not deciding, and one of you plays the person who has to figure out. And each of your cards is different, and you're not allowed to compare them. And so the one getting the decision, you only know what we happen to know about the person, but they know what it is that's really holding them back. And I'll give you a for instance of that in a moment. But when you're going into a situation like that, well, I'll give you the for instance now. Um, there was a lady who came to a series and heard about the Sabbath. She, she was coming to the meeting every night, loved the meeting, bringing the kids. The kids were coming, loved the meeting, and um, came to the issue of the Sabbath and did not end up making a decision on the Sabbath. When she was approached about the issue, she said, um, you know, one of these you know, Colossians 2 or whatever else, you know, gave one of these Sabbath, you know, I've got this Sabbath objection text. Um, the issue, the real issue behind the whole thing was that her grandfather, I have this right, was like a Baptist minister or something, had died, and in her mind she felt that if she accepted the Sabbath, then grandpa was going to be lost. If I accept that this is true, then he was wrong and he was keeping the wrong day and he's going to be lost. That was a whole hang-up. Okay, so keep that in mind. You're trying to work through that and you don't know it. So you go into that, how, how do you know how to deal with that? What do you do? You going in there, you're trying to figure out why she's, I can't understand. We've gone over every Sabbath text I know. I've been on three visits. We've talked about the Sabbath. I've shown them in the dictionary. I've shown them in the, and they're not making a decision. What's happening here? And all the while, they're throwing this. People will play this up. You'll be like, well, here's a text, you know, Colossians, well, what about this text? Well, what about the, and they'll keep throwing things at you to take you off the trail. And you're just scratching your head. They're not making a decision. How do you get down to that? Because that's what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to find out that what's really holding her back is the situation with that. Okay? So this is the process you go through. Now listen carefully because sometimes as they're telling you what the objection is, they might say something in there that doesn't seem to fit. Okay, but first thing first, if you're facing that situation, you have to have a hunch. And I, I'm forgetting some of the details here, but I think this person came to every night. Their kids came, they were excited the whole time. So, you know, going into the situation until, maybe it was until, maybe it was until the Sabbath, because I've got another story that I may be mixing it up with in my head. Because a lot of times this happens. The person will come, let's just say the person comes to the meeting, evangelistic meeting up until the point of the Sabbath. Um, could be a Bible study. You're giving them Bible studies, everything's going great. You do the Sabbath study, all of a sudden they're calling to cancel here and there. Uh, they don't put a note on the door yet. They're not telling you because a lot of times people don't want to be rude. So they're just like, oh, I had something come up this week. And then next week something came up. And then the next week it's like, you know, maybe we're going to have to hold off for a while. I just had something come up at work. I don't know if you've ever had that happen. Well, you've got to have a hunch. You could be dead wrong, but what's the hunch going to be? Something about that last study I gave. Maybe the study was something on hell. And it, but that last study and you noticed something different, you've got to have a hunch, because otherwise you don't know what direction to go. You're just kind of aimless. So for me, as an evangelist, I'm going into a house to visit with somebody. I'm going to have an idea of where I'm steering it. That's what my hunch is doing. Okay, for example, I had a lady, I know I'm getting away from this, but I'm not. I'm, it'll make sense in a minute. But we had a, we did a meeting in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I had a lady who came to the meeting every night. Loved, loved, loved them. I did the Sabbath presentation. After the Sabbath presentation, I did the unpardonable sin presentation. And then after that, she stopped coming. Okay? We, and I, and during the meeting, we had um, a lot of people to visit. I, we tried to get her. For some reason, didn't get her. 
right after she stopped coming, but I ended up making it, I think the meeting had finished up, and I went with two students from our manual class into her home. Now, I had to have a hunch, and my hunch was that it was the Sabbath, but I wasn't sure about that. But this is where the hunch comes in. So I'm going in there, and I'm talking with her. First, She was very nice, very warm. Oh, how are you guys doing? Oh, it's good to, it's good to see you. Come on in. We sat down. We were chatting. Uh, she told us how everything was going. Well, I said, you know, we're out visiting um, people who came to the meetings and just wanted to know, you know, you came to a lot of the nights. How, how was, oh, it was great. It was great. I loved it. I loved it. Was there something you had any question on about there? No, no, not at all. It was great. I loved all of it. Uh, it uh, you know, I was, well, you know, we missed you. Yeah, I know. It was, uh, I kind of got busy with some things, you know, kids, my daughter, this and that. And Okay, you know, and then we're chatting about other things in her life, and we're there for 45 minutes, just chatting and friendly and everything's so great. And I asked her in that, I stepped, I kept, just like we were talking with the woman at the well, I let her talk and then bring back, well, was there, was there anything new that you you know, heard in the meeting, or, oh, no, I, you know, and then we go on and talk, 45 minutes we're into it, okay, now I'm steering it, I got my hunch, though, and I probably should have done this a little sooner, but we chatted, and what have you, and after 45 minutes, her name was Marsha, I said, so Marsha, there wasn't anything you had questions about, or, no, can't think of anything, what do you think about that Sabbath presentation? You know, now that you mention it, she says. Now, we're 45 minutes. I gave her several opportunities, but she was not going to bring that thing up to save her life. She did not want confrontation, so she avoided it. If I didn't have a hunch, I would have just been, we would have had that 45 minutes. We would have been an hour. We would have prayed together. We would have left scratching our heads saying, I don't know what the deal is. Okay? So now I could have brought up the Sabbath. Oh, I loved it. That was great. Well, if you thought about it, we could have gone on with there. Okay? I could have been dead wrong in my hunch. But my hunch helped me to not just be aimless when I went in on the visit or in the particular study situation. The hunch helps me to know how to ask the questions and lead to finding that nail. You know, where's the hang-up point? So I'm going to listen carefully. Something may come up in the conversation initially that says, this isn't, you know, it kind of goes along with my hunch. It's not, ringing, it's not fitting right with everything else. I think this might be the problem. Or maybe I'm off track, but you want to listen carefully. Now, once you hear the question stated, you want to restate... The question, why? Yeah, like, okay, so they're, this is an objection situation. They have a question or an objection. They tell it to you. You want to restate it. Yeah, so do, so let me, if I understand you correctly, what you're telling me is that the, 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 the challenge you have with, with accepting the Sabbath is this Colossians 2 passage. Do I understand that correctly? You're saying... Yeah, Yeah, that would be great, too, because then they would have told you that, but they didn't tell me that one. I had to figure that one out. But yeah, if a person brings up, no, I brought it up, that's what the real issue was, but they didn't tell me that. They said the real issue was, um, you know, Colossians 2 or Romans 4 or whatever, 14 or whatever. So the reason you're restating it is this. Let's just say I ask them, and, and they say, well, you know, doesn't the Bible say in Colossians that, uh, you shouldn't judge anybody regarding the Sabbath. Well, let's look at Colossians 2. So I go there and I explain for the next 25 minutes, only to have at the end of that them say, well, that wasn't exactly what my, my issue was. That happens all the time. Maybe because it wasn't, or maybe because they didn't want it to be. <laughs> they didn't think you could answer it, and you did answer it. So you want to restate. So do I understand? Let me just make sure I understand you correctly that this is what your challenge is. They're either going to say, that's exactly it. Yeah, pretty much, or whatever. Or they're going to say, no, 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 no. That's not it. Oh, could you tell me again? This is just getting on the same page so I don't waste the next 25 or 30 minutes trying to answer something that isn't even the issue. Okay? So I'm getting on the same page. Now, I restate. So I listen carefully. Then I restate the question. And then the next one is probably the most important step, and that is get a commitment. So I restate the question. Do I understand correctly that... Your concern, you, 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 you understand the Sabbath, but this text in Colossians 2 appears to say that maybe the Sabbath has changed. Is that what I understand? Yeah, that's it. Well, let me ask this. If I could clear this up from Scripture, if we can look at that and I can answer that from Scripture, would you see your way clear to choosing to honor God on the Sabbath? Would you see your way clear to accepting this Bible teaching on the Sabbath? 
Okay, I'm getting a commitment. Why? I'm going to tell you what people are going to do. If I don't do this and I answer their question, and it's not the real issue, which it usually isn't, they're going to throw something else out. They're going to throw something out. So if I ask that, here's what's going to happen. Here's how I've seen it happen most of the time. It, people, they're playing you, but they're pl they're, they think they're doing it as a Christian. They see themselves as a Christian. They don't see themselves as avoiding truth. So you go to get the commitment, well, they're not going to lie to you. If it's the real issue, then they're going to tell you, yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah, if you can answer that from the Bible, that'd be great. But if it's not the real issue, I'll tell you what they're not going to do most of the time. No, if you clear it up from the Bible, I'm still not going to follow it. They're not usually going to do that. Sometimes they will. But then they'll say, oh, no, I'm not going to follow it because I just don't think it's biblical. Well, why not? Then you've got to kind of process through. But what they'll do most times is you begin to pressure it and they get uncomfortable. So if I can answer this from Scripture, would you see your way to keeping the Sabbath? You know, I don't know why you Adventists make such a big deal about the Sabbath. I mean, I don't know why, like, you have it together. Like, the, the, the whole world keep. did they answer my question? No. And I've seen that happen many times where they might be irate. They may not be irate, but they might be kind about it. They say, you know, you guys are always trying to push people into keeping the Sabbath. You're trying to get, but what they're doing is they're getting away from answering it. They're doing like the woman at the well. So I'm going to listen, and I'm going to say, okay, um, well, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but listen, if I can clear that up, and if they're still in a tirade, I might say, well, is there, is there something else? Is there, you, you, I mean, I asked you, you said it was Colossians 2. Is there, is there something in addition to that, that that I need to clarify? Well, I just don't know why you, you guys say it's so important. Now, you might be into some dialogue here. You might say, well, I want to remind you in our study, you know, the Bible, this is part of the Ten Commandments of God. I wouldn't be very verbose because I'm not, I don't want to heap up a bunch of information because I know they have the information. They're just trying to avoid. But I want to get back to this commitment. And usually this pressing this commitment area is where you're going to find out what the problem is. Because if, they, if it's not, what, what, what can happen is, and I wasn't in that particular situation with a young lady, but it had been similar ones. So her, it was a grandfather <laughs> thing. What happens is they kind of lose composure sometimes here if you press it. And they're like, you know, you guys always think you're, they'll go on their tirade. You think everybody has to keep the Sabbath. You think everybody's going to be lost who ever kept Sunday. Like anybody who, and, and that right there, you should be, your ears should be open. They bring that up, and, and the Lord will put ideas in your mind. You, 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 just think, you just think if somebody doesn't keep Sunday, they're lost. You think all these Christians who have lived in the past are lost because they don't keep Sunday. Well, no, I don't think that. Let me ask you a question. Do you know somebody in your family who, who kept Sunday? Are you concerned about that? I mean, and you, 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 so as you're going through, you're thinking of questions to ask. But getting this commitment... Asking for the commitment. So let's say you have dialogue about that. And, and oh, wow, somebody in the, maybe this is an angle. Maybe this is something. Have you had somebody, a loved one that, that died keeping Sunday that you're concerned about? Well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not concerned about them. They're a good Christian. But are you concerned that if the Sabbath is true, that they might be lost? And you're, you're, this is what you're processing through this thing with this. Then it might be changing. Okay, so let me let me make sure I understand this correctly. Your concern about the Sabbath really isn't Colossians two. Your concern about the Sabbath is that if you accept the Sabbath, then that means everybody's lost. You keep Sunday. Is, is, do I understand that correctly? Now you're getting to the issue. You understand what I'm saying? But it oftentimes is going to come in getting this commitment. This is key. And the thing is, a person if a person that they know that if they commit to it, most of the people you're working with in this context, they're wanting to follow the Lord. That's why the conviction's there and everything else. So they're not going to commit to you a lie in most cases. That's why you get the little bit of, you can get the agitation here. You press for that, they make the commitment, they know they've got to keep it. Now, when I get the commitment, let's just say that I state that and they say, yeah, if, I can, if you can show me in the Bible, if you can help me to understand that, yes, I would keep, keep the Sabbath. Okay, now, so what's the next thing I do? Next thing I'm going to do is restate the truth. Okay, this is brief, but let's say with the Sabbath, through this process, the devil's brought something up in their mind to make it this all, this huge mountain, 
So even though they've seen a billion texts on the Sabbath, all of a sudden they've got this one thing in their mind, and the devil magnifies that. So before I, I get, once I've got the commitment, I want to reaffirm in their mind the truth. Now, I just want to review. You know, we've talked about the Sabbath, how this is something that originated at creation, right? I mean, God wrote it on the Ten Commandments with his own finger in tables of stone, pointing to its permanence. We know the patriarchs and the prophets kept it. We know that Jesus kept it. We know the apostles kept the Sabbath. We see the New Testament church kept the seventh-day Sabbath. We know it's going to be kept in the new earth. So I'm just briefly reviewing. We know that it's, it's, it's our sign of loyalty to, to how we worship God. or However, it, you know, I may not be, have gotten into that just yet. So I'm going to restate the truth. And then I'm going to ask for the decision. So once I've restated the truth, I'll just simply say, we've gone over it, I've asked him for the commitment, I restate, you see this is the case with the Sabbath, would you be willing to commit yourself to keeping the Sabbath? I can ask it that way, I could say, what would keep you from choosing to honor God on the Sabbath? And if you, I, I, I want to say if you've done your work well, but that's not really fair because it, it, it doesn't always work this way, but, and if they're, you know, not resisting, They'll say, well, sure. What would keep you? Nothing will keep you. Praise the Lord. Then you want to... I missed one of my steps in here because I think I had seven. We do that sometimes, pastors. Answer the question. Oh, yeah, the... but. Oh, yeah, we never answered the question. <laughs> we got to answer the question right here. You get the commitment and then obviously you answer. I took that as a... And I messed you all up. We were trying to write this down. It is in your manuscript. Yeah, once you get the commit, you do have to answer the question that you said you would answer for them. If, where do you have it? Oh, yeah, you do. You do. Sorry. I'm just listening to that bell toll and knowing I'm over time and I'm not processing what I'm doing here. No, you, you do. You want to answer. You want to get the commitment. Then you want to restate the truth. And then you want to answer the question. The tendency is to just want to answer the question, but restating reaffirms the truth in the mind. Sorry about that. And then you want to answer the question. Then you want to ask for the decision. And then you want to pray. And I always like to pray and incorporate the decision, whether it's positive or negative. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. So I restate the truth. I answer that question. And you might go through this process a few times, and it might be a few visits. In other words, you might, you might be in this discussion, and you don't want to drag it out for hours and hours. You might say, well, you know, look, we'll come back again. You've got to be careful, because when you're in this area of conviction, you don't want to drag it out too long. But, um, you know, you might not get to the, the heart of the issue right away. You'd be scratching your head, you're praying to the Lord, but you will get to it. If you, this is going to help you, save you a lot of legwork. And every time you go through it, if let's say you visited and you didn't feel like you got anywhere, you need to come up with your hunch again. You may need to revise your hunch, but you always need a direction because you're going to be asking along that, that direction that you're thinking. You're like, okay, like I did with uh, uh, that, that other visit, asked her with Marsha, you know, what about the Sabbath? What about, so if you haven't, let's say you're going through all this and you have an idea that there's some other thing, you say, well, what about, you know, trying to think about what could be a hang-up. You know, we know about the, the, could be a job situation. Well, you know, is there, is there a challenge? Perhaps you, you perceive that there's a challenge with them following through because of a job situation. Well, let me ask you this. Are there, are there work conflicts that you've run into and, thinking about keeping the Sabbath? And they may say, well, no, I, I don't have any problem with that. In other words, the, your hunch is going to lead your questioning a little bit. Don't let, if they, well, in, they're not going to say smoking is keeping me from keeping the Sabbath. So if you're down to joining the church and they say it's smoking, then I'm going to say, well, let me understand. If, let me see if I understand you correctly. Are you saying that the thing that's holding you back from church membership is you have the smoking habit and you don't feel you can kick it? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Well, let me ask you this. If I can help you through that, if we as a church can help you through that, is there anything else that would hold you back? from becoming... No, not at all. Okay, very good. And then that's the process I'm going to follow. 
this is trying to get me to where the issue is, and once I know where that is, who knows how long it's going to take to work through that. It could be answering a simple question. It could be trying to help somebody through a habit or something like that. We have a, uh, a lady right now who has been coming to church, decided to get baptized. When she did, she was smoking. Well, she quit smoking. She's changing other things, but she's living with a guy. They're not married. He didn't want to get married. They've been living together for, what, 20 how many years, Daniel? 19 years. So Pastor Daniel went by the house with her and visited with her and her husband and said, you know, your wife wants to get baptized and join the church. We believe it's biblical. The couple gets married. This is holding her back. You're a husband. You don't want to hold her back. I'm just paraphrasing here. Uh, you ought to get married. So they're going to get married. Okay? Uh, it didn't go that quick and that easy. But I'm just saying, sometimes when you find out what the holdup is, that doesn't mean it's just going to be like, you know, I'm done. It doesn't go like that. All we're doing here is understanding the process. I'm telling you, what we've looked at here is going to change how you look at your whole working with people. And it's an, you're, you're start, you've just started on a new journey, but it's not going to make it like overnight you've got it all down. This is the science of soul winning and the science of salvation. But if you stick to this process, we would do our decision labs, and I'd have the student, the two weaknesses I noticed is they wouldn't go in with a hunch, and they were all over the place. And they wouldn't ask for a commitment. I listened to it time and again. I'd have them in their labs, and the person would start off with their objection, and the student would start giving them texts, and they're giving them, throwing information at them, and they're all up here, and they haven't gotten anywhere. This helps you when you just try to narrow it down, but be careful. So I would, I would instruct them, and I would say, okay, this is what you're doing. I'd tell them just what I did, what I told you. You guys need to get that commitment. Well, then they became very abrupt, and you don't want to do that either. So you're talking with somebody, and it's like, no, 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 what's the problem? You know, what, what, do, what, okay, this is oh, the Colossians 2. Okay, well, will you follow this if I show you Colossians 2? And it was just, <clears throat> you want to just, you want to, like the woman at the well, you want to steer the conversation gently. And so I know where I'm going when I have my hunch, but that doesn't mean I'm cutting them off in every sentence and saying, no, 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 let's go here. We got this, we got to get through this process. This is just guiding me. I'm restating the question. And they may talk for a while before I can even ask this. I'm listening to them, explain their issue, and then I'm, I'm asking, okay, um, do I understand you correctly, thus and so? And when they say that, you know, this is just, it's conversational. So you don't, you don't feel a need to be real abrupt with them. Don't feel the need that you've got to get everything solved right away. Don't be in a hurry to rush people into decisions. But this is going to help you to know where the issue is. Once you do, the rest of this follows fairly smoothly. Once you, the the, the hang-up is that they'll just tell you what the issue is when that's not the issue at all. And you'll be running around. And you might go through the whole process. Okay, you get the commitment. You restate the truth. You answer the question. Then you ask for the decision, and they don't make the decision. You're like, what? And then they bring up another objection. You're thinking, I just asked them up here if there's anything else. And they said no. But people will do that because they want to avoid deciding. They see where you're going. Just know that. And okay, well, well, we'll take it from the top, and you process through it. That's working with people. That's what it's like. When you pray, what I'll do is, when I come to the prayer, I will incorporate the decision in the prayer, good or bad. So my prayer is very simple. I always pray for the person. I thank, I always thank the Lord for the person and for their commitment to Him. The worst thing is, uh, people will perceive that if they're not doing what you want them to do, that you think they're a lesser Christian. You know, because you want me to keep the Sabbath. They know they're not making a decision. They're thinking, you think I'm not a good Christian. So when I pray, let's just say that I'm praying here and Charity hasn't made the decision. And I'd say, you know, so we work together. And she said, well, I just not, I'm not ready to do that. Okay, well, you know, let's meet again next week. We'll talk and, you know, and then we pray. And I bow our heads. Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much for Charity. I thank you for her commitment to you and her love for you. And Lord, as she's considering these things that we've talked about today and what your word says, I just pray your spirit would make this matter clear to her and urge her heart in the right direction in Jesus' name, something like that. So I haven't condemned her for not making the decision. Now, if she did make the decision, Lord, I thank you so much for Charity's decision today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would especially empower her to, to continue moving forward in your truth and that your angels would bless her, et cetera, whatever. Be with her in the situation at work as she goes and talks to her employer, or whatever may be the case. I'm going to employ that decision in my prayer. And, and that's the process I'll go through when a person has an objection. 
Now, if they don't, they're not always going to have this. You may, in your Bible study, you may go through the study and you get to the appeal and you're appealing to them to follow. And they, if, they're not, if they don't have an objection, they may just be like, yeah. In some cases, they may have an honest question where they're like, I just don't understand this text. And you don't necessarily have to walk through all this. You may perceive that this is just an honest question. And you may go to that text. It's not going to take you long. And look at it. And that may do it. It's all cleared up and they're good. You follow what I'm saying? Okay. But sometimes you've got to go through, you know, if you've got the objection, your issue, your issue is going to be application more than information. Don't get in the trap of thinking you're going to throw a bunch more texts at them. It, they're trying to figure out, how am I going to do this? My life is not going to go to pieces. Because the devil's telling them that the truth is going to cost them. And I've had, I told you this the other day. That I've had church members say, why am I going to give them the truth? And, and, and they're already happy as a Baptist. And why am I going to make them miserable? by telling? Don't get that in your mind. That it's, the truth is going to make them miserable. Yeah, to a degree, going through the process, it might. But it's only to give them a better life. right? Jesus came to give us life and give it more abundantly. So anyway... Um, I wish we could have gone through that and had a little more time, but I think you get the gist of it. And just taking the principles of what we looked at, understanding conviction, spotting conviction, understanding that the people that are mad at you or avoiding you may not be doing it just because you did something wrong, but maybe because you did something right. Understanding this process that people go through that just because they have all the information and all the conviction in the world doesn't mean they're going to decide so don't be scratching your head and saying, I don't understand it. I gave them every text I know. It doesn't have to do with the text. It has to do with the fact that they're people. They have real lives. And they have real feelings. And they have real situations they're in. And they're processing it all. And you can help them in that process. And you especially can find where the real challenge is for them. When you find that, you can help them through it. And when you do, there's a section in the manual here. Where did I put it? It's in the appendix that has a bunch of texts that you can use in connection with different objections. And one thing I didn't touch on, I need to touch on, in the, uh, Mark, Mark Finley also shares the 3F uh, scenario, feel, felt, and found. The feel, felt, and found scenario goes like this. I know how you feel. Others have felt the same way, but let me tell you what they've found. All you're doing there is you're, you're, you're asking for the decision. You're bringing in, when you give the answer, you're showing scripture. You're allowing a scripture to, you know, to guide them in that decision. You know, so, for example, let's say a person's hold up on the Sabbath is that they're worried about providing for their family. They're going to lose their job. So you go to Matthew 6, 33, and it says that God knows all these things that you have and you need, but if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. Okay? You augment that. Let the scripture have that. That's going to have force with them. When they're like, I'm worried about, and you share with them what it says in Psalm 37, 25, is it? That says, I, am, I was young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging bread. What a powerful promise. They're worried I'm not going to be able to provide for my family. Look, David says, in all his lifetime, He's never seen God forsake his own. Okay, That's going to have power with people. And then what you want to do, the icing on the cake, you can do feel, felt, and found with somebody else or yourself. You know what? I know you're going through, you're struggling with this. I know, but you can say, I've worked with a lot of people who have gone through the same thing. Or I remember when I myself was in your shoes. I know how you feel, but let me tell you what the Lord did for me. Let me tell you what I found, how I found God to be faithful. And so that, you're giving the scripture, and then you're showing how it works with sharing your own experiences. And that'll go a long way in helping them in those decisions. But here's a bunch of texts in Appendix B for different situations that you can use with a little summary of what the text says that you can use in different situations to lead a person to decision. We are not going to spend, we'll spend a very little time on that on tomorrow morning, um, the Discipleship Handbook. Let's go ahead and pray. And we'll look forward to seeing you at 3.30. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Holy Spirit and his willingness to use us. And Lord, as we have meditated on these things today, been learning about the work of the Holy Spirit and conviction and leading people to decisions, I do ask, Lord, that you would teach us and train us 
in being more effective in helping people to escape the enemy's grasp, to make their decisions for Christ, that their lives may be that fullness of joy that you want them to be. Be with us now as we go to lunch. We pray that you would bring us back together again this afternoon. And bless us with your presence in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.